Welcome to Streaming Consciousness. Tonight we're going to do our Oscar preview episode. And so I'm here, Christina McGann, with... Ryan Fox. And we're going to do uh, 60 movies in 60 seconds. Or maybe 60 in an hour. That's probably be closer to it. Okay. All right, let's, let's just jump in. First, hello, my name is Doris. What do you think of this movie, Christina? I actually ended up seeing this twice. The first time, I didn't like it that much, but it, it grew on me. I think it was just like Sally Field trying to get the Oscar and just like a vehicle for her. But it had some nice moments. It was just a little mishmashed, and we had a problem with their accent, accents. Well, I did anyway. Oh, right. Some They're people had to... accents, and some people didn't. Right. Time Daly had a thick accent, and... Um... Uh, Sally Field didn't have one at all. And they're supposed to be from, what, Staten Island? But she had no trace of a New York accent, right? Yeah. For those of you who didn't see this gem, it was about, like, a sad and lonely lady who, like, had a crush on a young guy. It was all very strange. Yeah, an older lady who's got a crush on a young guy. And... I guess, you know, that's a refreshing change from the creepy usual thing where Woody Allen type thing where it's like the old man and the young girl. But, um, yeah, I, I, I still don't like that either way where it's like, you know, man to woman or woman to man. But, um, yeah, and it seemed like she was dressed up in her little, like, uh hipster outfits as opposed to being so out of style that she's back in style it was really contrived like yeah she was supposed to be wearing these like ridiculous outfits so the young people were like you're cool you're hip and it was supposed to be that that was just her clothing but it was so not like what an old lady would wear that it was, didn't even make any sense it was just so contrived but right because it was supposed to be like 60s look but it really wasn't it was contemporary hipster that she was wearing but in the world of the movie it was supposed to be like oh she's so out of step with contemporary things she's so um old in her style that it's actually new again but um yeah, so anyway, she goes after the young guy, and at the end of the movie, um, it's basically what happens, that we there's a fantasy that they get together, and then you find out that it's just a fantasy. So for me, it was totally like, just, you know, not satisfying, because nothing happens at the end. Yeah, I mean, she's supposed to, like, get her groove back, and, and all that, and she learns to live again. I mean, we don't want to give too much away. From this oh, amazing film. But, I don't um, mind. This is going to be a spoiler alert on all these. Okay. If you Warning. haven't, if you haven't seen them, um, then uh, we're going to ruin it for you. So yeah, so it was a little bit like get her groove back. An older lady finding her. You know, she goes like a. Uh, this is not even punk. I don't know what that music is called. Whatever that music was. Oh, like the rave. electronica. I believe, yeah, that she goes and to they see. love her. I mean, it was so far fetched. But yeah, it was pretty stupid. Okay, now so <laughs> the meddler. Um, this I was looking forward to because uh, before this movie came out, I often call my mom the meddler. But this movie was really just a long, long commercial. Really, for what? Um, for Crate and Barrel. Um, for, it was, 
every scene they had products like jammed into the conversation. It was it was so bad. It was kind of like uh, you know back in the day when when Bob Hope would go. You know, I think they used to call that plugging. Like Bob Hope used to go on a uh, talk show and be like, "Well, I was in my Cadillac smoking a Chesterfield," and and you know you you put you throw all these uh, commercials into the conversation. And this movie was shameless. I mean, I know they got to get money to finance things, but it just went way too far. It was <clears throat> like, first of all, the mom is staying at the Grove. And so the 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 movie's kind of like a big uh, commercial for the Grove. The and Grove um, in Los Angeles, or the Grove in the Bohemian Grove? No, the Grove. Uh, you know, like Farmers Market. The oh, Grove, you can stay Fairfax. there. There's a, a, a. Yeah, you could stay there. So the main <laughs> character stays there. And, um, yeah, remember we talked about somebody we know who was moving into the Grove? That was the Americana. That's Glendale's version of the Grove. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, so in the movie, um, she's staying at the Grove, and she goes to the Apple Store downstairs, and so it's a big commercial for the Grove and for Apple, and then they have all these conversations where um, she just plugs different products, and it's shameful. You is, know? It suppo- is that the gag? Is that like what No, I don't about? think it's a gag. I think it's just... I think it's just... Uh, just shameless you know plugging of of things and she um is there a story at all you know and i could name the 50 other commercials but that's not what this podcast is about so um anyway there's a story yes there is a story it's basically she meddles in her daughter's love life and she winds up finding love of her own and um you know because she's has her own love life. She could stop meddling in her daughter's uh, affairs. Wow, that and sounds really great. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's another piece of shit. Okay, okay so then we have uh, I saw the light. I saw the light is about Hank Williams Senior and um, Tom Hiddleston. Is that his name from uh, the the Night Manager fame? Sure. He's uh, he's in it. And it's a pretty good uh, biopic, but I I just felt like Hank Williams Sr. is known for uh, his domestic violence and alcoholism. And they seem to have the alcoholism and the drugs, but he was such like a such a nice guy that I was like this isn't the the Hank Williams, you know, senior that sang, you know, I'll mind my business, you mind yours, you know, while he beats his wife. He just seemed like he was this nice guy who drank too much and took too many drugs, but otherwise was this like sweet gentleman instead of uh the Hank Williams of uh of history, but it was a pretty decent uh biopic they I have to say. They always do that. They always, you know, Leave that out of the movie. Oh, want to sanitize it and make them, uh, yeah. Because yeah, a lot of times, like, the people of the estate, you know, like the heirs or whatever, won't sign off on it. Or won't oh, that's sign a good off point. On the, mu- on the music, because they have to get the rights to the music. Right, oh, that's right. So in order to get the rights to the music, they make the person into a saint, and, yeah. But it sounds like it's the same old thing, like any of those 
stars, you know, like Johnny Cash or, you know, the Buddy Holly story. It's always the same thing. It's like somebody gets famous, somebody becomes an addict or an alcoholic, they throw it all away, some woman loves him, but they treat her, he treats her like shit. Is that pretty much it? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's always the same, it's right? It's always the Every same. Every single well, one of them. Yeah, I guess, and in life it's always the same to a certain extent, so, you know, maybe it's like art imitating life, but... But not really, because you're right. They all have the same kind of uh, formula. But um, and even not just that, like any time someone rises to the top, you know, like we said, like Boogie Nights, A Wolf of Wall Street. Hmm. Yeah, fellas. Any any movie, really. Like a lot of times, like when someone like works their ass off to get to the top, and then the money's rolling in, the cocaine's coming in, and then. Something crashes down, and they mess it up with drugs or just their own their own greed. Yeah. And that's like the most typical story there is, right? No, I guess you're right. That, but I, they probably need the rise and the fall. So otherwise, there's, there's no be, story. <laughs> yeah, somewhere for it to go. A cautionary tale. Which brings us to our next film, uh, Miles Ahead. Is about Miles Davis, played by Don Cheadle. And him doing a lot of, um, why would you laughing at Don Cheadle? Oh, I always think every movie has Don Cheadle. Ah, okay. So, um, Don Cheadle is, uh, is Miles Davis and he's doing a lot of coke and basically the whole movie's about his, uh, tapes that he had produced that he stole from the the record company and people are trying to steal these tapes back and it's uh and then ewan mcgregor's along for the ride because he's uh um well yeah well why am i i don't need to give a, a breakdown of the movie i just felt like it was um just kind of uh kind of pointless like miles davis came across as which I assume that he was in real life, just kind of, you know, angry and brooding. And um, he, you know, goes after these tapes and I guess gets the tapes. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, who cares? Uh, Maggie's plan. But that went back to miles ahead. I mean, at least that sounds like they found like a, a little interesting story of his life and then just made it all about that instead of like a regular biopic. It's not like... Cradle to the Grave story. It's just this one incident, right? Exactly. It's about these these tapes and that well, that, that small kind of interesting of his life. Yeah, no, it was kind of interesting. Um, you know, because you have people chasing after each, but it was too much of a chase for me. It's like these tapes were produced, and then Miles Davis is like, um, "I'm going to um, steal." these tapes that don't belong to me and then of course the record producer is like trying to get them back and it becomes all about these tapes interesting is it a metaphor for like itunes of today or like copying media or something no that would be way too deep but uh but uh that's not a bad idea okay maggie's plan okay didn't see that one either but i know about it okay so maggie's plan um yeah, I like this movie. I felt uh, that it's kind of predictable that you know 
that Maggie, because basically Maggie gets knocked up, you know, she gets a sperm sample from a guy and impregnates herself with it. That's Maggie's plan. And then throughout the movie, she's looking for love and, and, uh, it's not working out. And then of course, at the end of, you know, who does she find? But, or, you know, just run into the guy with the sperm sample who wanted to be with her, or at least to, to deposit the sperm the old-fashioned way, which she wasn't into. And um, the end of the movie is basically like, oh, they're going to get together. And he's the father of her child, so hey, it works out. Maybe Maggie did have a plan after all. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, it was cute, and uh, Greta Gerwig was uh, was very good as as Maggie, and of course it's uh, Ethan Hawke who's the um, you know self absorbed uh, artist type that uh, you know runs her around in circles for the whole movie. Um, then there's Equity with uh, Anna Gunn of uh, Breaking Bad fame. And Equity was, yeah, it was interesting. It was kind of a, uh, you know, a business movie in the in the sense of, uh, like, Sweet Smell of Success or um, Wall Street or, or any of those. And, um, and I kind of liked uh, the cat and mouse that was played through the whole thing. It's kind of like... Uh, you know, all about Eve, where the, um, you know, the underling of the assistant basically, you know, is emulating Anna Gunn and then basic, you know, like beating her at her own game in the end. Hmm. Um, that sounds pretty good. There's the Hollers. I did see the Hollers, although I've been asking a lot of people about this movie. I have not heard anyone else besides us that have, has seen this movie, but... It was so good. Yeah, I love the Hollers. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was funny. I thought it was sad. Um, it, it has John Krasinski, and um, it's sort of like Anna a, Kendrick is his uh, his wife, and um, it's a little bit like Garden State or any movie of like going back home. Yeah, he goes back home and. Um, the mother's sick. The mother's sick, which was kind of a genre onto itself this year because there was a lot of moms dying uh, movies. But uh, but yeah, the hollers I really liked because it had a great uh, dynamic between the the you know Ted Grizz. Uh, is it Ted? John Krasinski. John Krasinski. I don't know who this Ted guy is. <laughs> John Krasinski and his brother, who um, that guy is great, but he can only do. I mean, his South African accent always slips into everything that he does, and that's mm. kind of annoying. But otherwise, he uh, he was really good in this. And, um, you know, the mother was amazing. Everyone should check that out. It's like a black comedy, but it's romantic. It's really got everything, and it was pretty well done. Yeah, absolutely. It's very good. Um, yeah, Anthropoid was, um, my God, that was... Uh, that was just so bad. That was about um, Hitler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, sort of. It was about uh, you know one of his top in command who the resistance or you know they're going to kill him. But the cast was very international, and nobody had the the right accent. I mean, you had like Killian Murphy doing kind of like a I don't know what it was an Irish Czech accent and. And uh, 
one of the women in the movie was screaming, you don't have to take this. You don't have to take this anymore. And that's when I stopped watching it because... <laughs> she was talking to you. Yeah, she was talking directly to me. I mean, it's so sloppy. It's kind of, a, I don't know, an insult to everyone involved in World War II. Was it low budget? Just sloppy. I don't believe that it was really... I mean, it didn't look low budget, but the the amount of dedication on the part of the actors was, uh, was low. Um, there's <laughs> Denial, um, another um, fun Holocaust movie, and Denial with starring uh, Rachel Weisz. Um, she did a decent uh, Queen's accent, but it wasn't, it wasn't great, you know? Uh, and it's basically, it talks about the Holocaust denier, um, uh, Fred, Fred Leuchter, who there's an Errol Morris documentary about him called, uh, Mr. Death, I believe it is. And basically Fred Leuchter was this sad man who wanted to get attention. And so he started this whole Holocaust denial thing. Um, Fred Leuchter was originally, uh, I think he developed a, I don't know if it was a better, a better gallows, uh, or electric chair, but he was in the, in the death business, you know, killing prisoners. And for some reason, maybe, oh, maybe because of the cyanide involved with, uh, with, uh, the gas chamber that he basically said that the Holocaust didn't happen because the cyanide levels were so low um, in the uh, the gas chamber areas, but that's so um, stupid. So, like fifty years later, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was no science to to his claims, and maybe uh, he wanted to be considered like the best death monger, you know. And then, if this gas chamber existed, then it would like diminish his abilities he's like oh, i can't even no. get one killed oh no i like that once again you're you're making <laughs> things way deeper than they are um which is good uh but i think fred leuchter just loved the uh attention mm. because he would go on speaking tours and he had all these uh you know these rabid nazis to hang out with and um and i guess that's a social life so anyway but uh, denial is um, is courtroom interesting. Drama? Yeah, it's basically a courtroom drama. They go to Auschwitz to to look around and see the site. But it's essentially a courtroom drama, and um, it's kind of uh, not very um, high stakes for me because I knew about Fred Leuchter and I knew that um, what they were going to conclude with is that um, basically it takes a lot more uh, cyanide to kill um, lice than it does human beings. So they said that they found all this cyanide in the delousing area and less in the gas chambers. And that's simply because you need much more of it to kill lice than to kill humans. Wow, those and lice are really annoying. Yeah, yeah, they are survivors. Yeah. All right. So, okay. Moving on. All right. Um, Eye in the Sky. Okay, Eye in the Sky for me 
was a waste of some great actors because the whole movie seemed to consist of Helen Mirren in close-ups and Aaron Paul in close-ups, and they're all um, worried about this little kid that's going to go into a certain area that they need to uh, need, in quotes, blow up because of uh, terrorist activity. What? That doesn't make any sense. Where do they live? Where does who live? All these people. Well, they're all doing this remotely through the eye in the sky. They're all, it's all a drone thing. Oh, is it in the future? No, it's in the present, but it's all drones. <laughs> and um, they, this kid goes into the target area, and they're like, get the kid out of there, get the kid out of there. And then it's all this you know, tension, like if the kid is going to get blown up or not. And you're like, oh, no. Oh, I remember you telling me about this. Don't spoil this one. Don't spoil. I'm spoiling all these. This okay. is this one's already spoiled by <laughs> by, by the, being a piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> by virtue of his of its existence. So yeah, and 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 they blow up the kid, but they, you know, they need to take some notes from Hitchcock where you can't draw out the tension for like too long because at first I was worried about this kid, but then after such a long period uh, after a while i was like blow the kid up i don't give a shit move on what else you got you know anyway it was a waste of all those actors and i did not like it you saw uh, that one in the theater right eye in the sky yes i did and then uh helen mirren spoke afterwards and um yeah so i got that going for me uh captain fantastic you saw this one what'd you think yes well that was very interesting um, about the guy, they're living off the grid, and you don't really know why the mom died or what she, if she was into this uh, alternative lifestyle or not. They're raising the kids in the woods, and I like some idea of it, like, oh, living off the grid's cool, or like making your own food, but then like all the like paramilitary stuff and like making the kids climb like the rock wall, like that was just too much. Like, what were they prepping for? It was weird. I didn't know if they were preppers or. They're just being, like, weird so that the military stuff I didn't like. Yeah, because he seemed to educate them in, like, Noam Chomsky and, and uh, well, he would, he, they seemed to have a very well-rounded education as far as learning, like, all the... Oh, they spoke, like, five languages. I mean, that was ridiculous, too. Like, any topic you mentioned, they, like, knew it. They, like, memorized <coughs> the Constitution. They'd read, like, every book. And even, like, the kids that were, like, eight had already, like... <coughs> read everything knew everything but yet when they showed like how they spent their day because they had to survive in the wild it seems like you know in that sort of environment you would spend most of your day like just getting water and like making food you know and then then they were like exercising for like hours a day there just wasn't there weren't enough hours in the day to get that kind of education in an environment where you have to spend most of your day just like getting the you know just the basics of living. Well, maybe each day was a different focus. You know, like maybe Mondays was paramilitary work, Tuesdays rock climbing, Wednesdays was foreign languages. I, I don't know. Did, but I it, just don't think there's enough hours in the day for that. But they, but it was interesting that he, um, you know, made the kids tough. And but although it's like you said, what are they preparing for? Are they preparing for like the Russians invading in a Red Dawn situation? Yeah, I mean it's good to be self-sufficient, and it's good to be, um, 
you know, independent and ready for anything, but it seemed like there was a lot of focus on getting ready for war. Yeah, if they were just, like, peaceful, I would think that would be much, you know, I, that's what I would love. Like, it'd be great to raise your kids in the woods and read all day and play the guitar and have a campfire. That sounds great, but, like, teaching, like, the little five-year-old how to, you know, fight with a knife and... Hell no. I didn't like that part. But anyway, so then it was weird because they're supposed to be so like giving and hippy dippy. And then they oh, they go to this diner and they're like about to order. And they're all like, what's a milkshake, daddy? Which is so ridiculous because they can speak like five languages. and They've read like every book, but they have no idea what a milkshake is. Like there's not one book they read where a milkshake you know, it occurred. Yeah. So that was ridiculous. Like, what's a milkshake, Daddy? And then he's like, we're not eating this disgusting food. And they storm out of the diner. And then they go rob the grocery store. So I was not down with that at all. I thought that was... Oh, to teach your kids to uh, to rob? Yeah. Yeah, I think that was ridiculous because they were seen to... And they get, stole a cake, a store-bought cake. They were seen to get copious amounts of uh, magazines... And I'm sure in some magazine there's going to be there's going to be a picture of a milkshake or a reference to it. And they went into town. It seemed like every once in a while. So it's they're not living on Neptune. So it's like you know, what is fast food, father? You know that was yeah, kind of silly. But um, I guess the whole idea was trying to show like you know our consumerist soft society versus this kind of like survivalist um you know off the grid existence and um and i really uh and i really did enjoy and i guess what at the end they bring the uh oh and i and the whole thing the mother dies and the whole thing is about her her body because the the parents of the mother want to have a traditional funeral and burial and um, and Viggo Mort- Mortensen and the family want to respect her wishes, which were to be, of course, out in nature. So they, in the end, steal the body and then go bring it out into the woods. And, um, and the mother looked very beautiful, for being dead that long. Oh, yeah. Considering that she had been, like, depressed and committed suicide. And then yeah. was dead for, like, weeks. And she was, like, gorgeous. Like, this was the hottest Oh, not course. to mention she had, like, six kids. She had given birth to, like, six kids, right? And yeah. was depressed and suicidal. Well, yeah, but there weren't any uh, close-ups on her tummy. I'm just saying, just the stress of having oh, children of affects six. your face. <laughs> Christina has three kids, so she knows. <laughs> she she looked like she was like twenty five. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and also living out in the sun all day, like your skin. Anyway, there was that. There's just a few things, but well, that's interesting. No, I you would have thinking, a ruddy. You know, I just was look. thinking when you're dead that many days, you don't look that great. Yeah, she looked really good. So maybe you're there's something to it. But anyway, that's my that's a very petty complaint. Uh, well, we had the, some other ones. That the corpse looks so, uh, uh, you know, gorgeous. But um, it's a good movie. It raises some interesting questions. You know, they try to, uh, you know, have the juxtaposition of like uh, the brother-in-law or the sister-in-law, whoever they go stay at their house in Arizona, and those kids like don't know anything about the Constitution or the government, and you know, they're getting a traditional education. 
and they know nothing. But it was just so, that was also like heavy handed and like spoon fed and like they were like with their violent video games, you know, and just making them look like idiots, you know, like Americans or consumer idiots. It was just very, a little preachy with That's that. true. The whole movie was, you know, preachy, but I did like some of the ideas that brought up yeah. Such as the the um, that same uh, what was it the sister in law I believe yeah she was um, the sister in law was saying you basically you lied to your kids to protect them from the truth and Vigo Mortensen was like you know so absolutely honest with his kids about everything but there should be probably a happy medium because. You don't need to be telling, you know, like the five-year-old, like, you know, Santa doesn't exist and and the the world is corrupt and uh, blah, blah, blah. What, you made a, is that a terrible spoiler alert? Your eyes flashed. I'm like, what do you mean Santa doesn't exist? Of course he exists. Christina doesn't mind if I ruined all these movies. She doesn't want anyone to, to know about Santa. Santa. Because Santa is real. Okay, Santa's real. Um, anyway, Kids so... Kids aren't listening to this. I don't care who's listening. I believe in Santa. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay. Anyway, um, moving so on. I raised some interesting questions, and it was it was good. Yeah. You could uh, see both sides of the argument. Exactly. You just took it a little too far. It was a beautiful dream gone awry. Check Mr. it out. Mr. Church with Eddie mm. Murphy. I like this movie very much. Um, I thought it was... Um, interesting and it's you know it's based on a true story um and i loved how it was basically a black man who is supporting um these white uh, kids that uh, aren't his own instead of the you know usual negative stereotype you have mr church who is uh you know providing for um this uh this family because basically um mr church is given to um he's a person (laughs) and he's given to someone i know i mean i made it sound like he's a slave it is (laughs) that is not the story it's a it's a contemporary story but mr church is employed to um to be this woman's um cook and um he helps them to live. He yeah. helps them to learn how to live again. Yeah, yeah. Brings they, joy back to their lives. And yeah. That old so, thing. He's like so Mary Poppins. He's, he's, he's um, well, not quite. This is a real story. Okay. <laughs> a true story. He's employed by, I believe, this woman's uh, ex-husband to, you know, cook for her while she's alive because she's, she's dying of cancer. So and it's then, like Driving Miss Daisy? Oh my God! It is. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like anything. It's a. It's that's it's why. It's, that's thing. why it's, it's interesting. Mr. Check it out. Yeah, because it's not like driving Miss Daisy or anything. It's uh, it, that. It's a original story. Um, so the guy is hired to cook for this woman who is dying, and then once she dies, he basically is like father to the family and he's supporting them you know financially and emotionally and and everything and it's the story of how basically mr church uh you know raises them okay that sounds interesting 
Jungle Book. Ugh. Okay, don't mess with success. You have a great movie, the animated classic, the Disney classic, and then they made this thing. First of all, this kid cannot act. I know a lot of people think he can act. No, this guy's terrible. He has no stage presence, no screen presence. He's just blah. He's not cute. He's not endearing. I just couldn't stand this kid. And, he, you know, this kid has to carry the whole movie. And I understand it's really hard to find a young child who can do that. But search a little harder because this kid was the worst. And then all these CGI animals. That's what killed it for oh, me. And then, with, like, acting like humans. Like, terrible. I mean, like we were saying, well... With animated movie, you can, it like works so much better because you can like I don't know, just really like get it through, get what you're trying to say through the animation yeah, and makes, the expressions. But with these realistic looking animals, you can't really make crazy faces. Like it has to still be a face that they can make with their actual anatomical face. Does that make sense? Like, they animated, you know, your eyebrows could go up high or your mouth could, you know, your teeth could be big and go like, ding, and make a crazy face. But with these, these CGI animals, it just, I don't know, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, it made me uh, nostalgic for Louis Prima as King Louis or, uh, who played Baloo the Bear? Sterling Holloway, maybe? Okay. Um, yeah, it made me want to see the old Jungle Book because I love John Favreau's work normally, but I was kind of disappointed that, well, I mean, I guess it's a big studio thing and, and, you know, they're, they're definitely, uh, you know, going to use real animals. But like you said, it's a real animal and they would just kind of like, you know, have the lips moving, but the rest of the face isn't, you know, it's kind of neither here nor there. It's like, so you have a, a, a real life animal and then the lips are moving, but the rest of the face isn't going with it. And obviously, yeah, animals don't really talk, but that's why it doesn't, it doesn't work because in the original Jungle Book, you had all these animals that were basically like cartoon humans. Right. And you know how they always, with all the animated movies, you know, they'll, you could have, or even going back to like Old Bugs Bunny, you know, someone will come out and they'll, like, their face will suddenly look like Humphrey Bogart or whatever. They can make faces using the animation and like completely change the face to sort of resemble a character that we all know or. Yeah, so it almost felt like it was real life animals with voiceover because, you know, the lips would move a little bit, but, you know, that's about it. Yeah, so you, you can't, like, make a crazy face and, you know. Yeah, so the animals didn't really seem like animals and they didn't seem human, so it was neither here nor there. It totally didn't work for me. It actually made me appreciate why animation is so superior because yeah. you can, you just have so many more options. And also, um, yeah, I think the kid wasn't that good. And the and the story itself didn't have the right pacing. And it just seemed, uh, um, yeah, just really corny with the voiceover and, and everything about it. it's too scary for kids. I mean, you said it was probably too scary for my kids. So if it's too scary for, you know, seven-year-olds, then who's your market? You know, it obviously isn't it good for adults. So then what are you looking at? You know, a demographic of like 10 to 13-year-old boys? I mean, I don't know 
it just seems so limiting to spend all that much all that money on such a small demographic but a traditional animation movie was Zootopia which I loved <sighs> the best the best I love Zootopia I mean first of all the character is a fox I'm Ryan Fox by the way and um yeah, the whole thing was just a great satire on political correctness and race being used to divide uh, and control us. And I thought it was just a wonderful metaphor for our world. Like any wonderful animation, it works on two levels. It works on one level with the kids and then an entirely different level with the with the adults. But this was really great uh, satire and I loved how it explores the prejudice of our world in, you know, such a, a great way and how and political correctness as well, because Officer Hops, this little bunny, she wants to be a cop. And there's never been a bunny cop before. Usually uh, police officers are big predators, and uh, or not necessarily predators, excuse me. Whoa, that was very politically incorrect of me, incorrect of me, because the police chief is a water buffalo, I believe. He was scary. He was they scary. He actually scared one of my daughters. That was the only scary thing she thought was... Because he had like a really deep voice and he, he was scary. Looking. Yeah, he was voiced by uh, Idris Elba. First bunny cop and she is... Um, yeah, she's not being accepted as a, uh, as a bunny cop. And they're all laughing at her and saying how cute she is. And she goes, ooh, I'm not sure you know this, but like it's okay for one bunny to call another bunny cute but not for another animal, you know, just like in our world where, you know, people of the same ethnicity can, uh, can say all kinds of horribly disrespectful, demeaning things, and it's all supposed to be in fun, but if somebody else does it, then it's, uh, then it's wrong. Um, yeah, so anyway, I love Zootopia. I thought it was, a you know, amazing, uh, metaphor for our world, and, uh, very entertaining and you know it's very postmodern with its kind of uh um references to uh the godfather there's a lot of godfather stuff in there and sort of like conspiracy theory stuff like well i love conspiracy theory so it's just nice to know you know there was this whole secret operation going on you know when you find out what was actually going on and who's controlling it so i like that oh yes because you find out that that the um the what was she a little a lamb yeah this lamb who is a uh uh assistant to the mayor who's a lion the lamb played by jenny slate um she seems like she's this you know ditzy little lamb but she's using uh the fear of predators to um you know for her own political gain because she's trying to spread fear so that uh, she can, uh, you know, you know, rise to the top. And, uh, you know, that sounds very familiar. I mean, throughout history, that's been a great way to, uh, you know, get the people on your side. You know, you, you scare the hell out of them and then offer the solution. Yeah, and then it was also great because it was, you know, it's a Disney movie, yet it had, like, a female role model, and she wasn't a princess, and she's not... 
you know, anything like that. So it was great to have a non-princess Disney oh, yeah. movie with, and the you know, girls and boys loved that movie, which is awesome. And the humor was hysteric. I mean, it was really well written, and the music worked well, and it was yeah, just I mean, about I, as perfect as you. Can I thought be. it was great. Yeah, I mean, Zootopia was the best because yeah, it was it was funny and insightful, and uh, I hope they don't try to make a sequel. Has like an inspiring story where uh, you know somebody. Uh, has an impossible dream, yet they manage to not only accomplish their dream, but uh, um, but beyond their wildest expectations, where they you know uncover this uh, fiendish plot uh, to uh, to divide us all. Um, Captain America: Civil War. Well, um, I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't love it. I'm a little burnt out on the whole superhero thing. But uh, it wasn't so much, you know, the gratuitous, like, one superhero against another superhero. It's basically a revenge tale of Tony Stark trying to... uh, get revenge for uh, against those that uh, killed his parents because um yeah nobody likes that when uh, their parents are killed and uh and instead of yeah the gratuitous superhero battle it was it was really about that but i felt like they're trying to introduce too many characters because they're always trying to set up the next movie so um in this civil war which was basically Marvel characters versus Marvel characters. Um, yeah, they were trying to set up like, oh, here's Spider-Man. You know, that'll be coming soon. The whole cast of uh, <laughs> of Marvel uh, of characters in, have, in a Civil War. Have they ever made the DC characters versus the Marvel characters? That has never happened yet. Um, if they ever do that, that would be amazing. Well, much like they did the Avengers... Uh, now they're doing the Justice League for the DC, right? You know, but they and they like, have they had Batman versus Superman. But to answer your question, as far as I know, no. But that's that's definitely going <laughs> to someday happen. they got to get together and do that. They will definitely do that. You heard yeah. it here first, people. I'm sure nobody else has ever thought of that. American wrestler, the Wizard. The oh. Wizard. Jeez, yeah. This is uh, you know this uh, this Iranian kid. You know, comes to uh, to California and starts wrestling, and everything was wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, like from the get go, is because it's supposed to be nineteen eighty or 19, early eighties, and um, yeah, everything was anachronistic and nothing was uh, was correct. And we can't stand that, by the way. So if you're gonna make a movie. You better check your facts, check your history books, check your ed- items that are made at that time. And I'm not that we, big of a stickler. Yes, you are. No, because some of these things, it's not like I'm a historian. I don't even know. Um, oh, well, yeah, you're not sitting there like, oh, that, whatever. But, I mean, if it's obvious and you lived through it and you were like, nobody had that in 1984, like, it's going to cross your mind. Right, exactly. Right, exactly. Yes, as... Uh, as the great acting coach Anthony Gilardi would say, the real thing is out there. And if it's, you know, something that I've lived through personally, then I, you know, know when, uh, I mean, I mean, it's, this is not 
glaring things like, oh, it's a Victorian England picture and somebody's on a on an iPad. But <laughs> now that would be good. That would be. But the, but it was pretty bad as far as nothing being like consistent with 1980 California. Um, so he comes here and he's a wrestling champion and he wins the thing and he gets his parents out of the ghetto. Oh, I don't know. I just it was just so corny. I I couldn't get past the first few minutes. Oh, well, then let's not discuss it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the birth of a nation. Oh Lord. Yeah, birth of a nation, which is. Um, you know, we should all know there's the 1915 Birth of a Nation, and that uh, is, you know, what this movie is named after, ironically, because America's first blockbuster movie um, by uh, D.W. Griffith, Birth of a Nation, which was, you know, horribly racist and um, based on a book called The Klansman. And the whole point of the movie was to show how great the Ku Klux Klan is and, you know, that the, uh, that the Civil War should never have been fought because there was the good old days where we had, you know, slavery in the plantations. Anyway, so that's the original one, which was uh, a huge blockbuster and... Um, at, you know, led to the resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan because the Ku Klux Klan was huge again in the 1920s because of this uh, disgusting movie. God, that's so sad that that's like the history of movies. Like, that's the beginning of movies, you know? Right, yeah. That's part of our culture, so. Right, because it's... America, good going. Yeah, exactly. It's And it's it's technically, it's a very interesting, you know, movie. And they did, like, the, the battle scenes over at, uh, you know, Forest Lawn here off the, oh, yeah. the 134. And um, technically, it's, it's pioneering for storytelling and the art of cinema. But... But, uh, yeah, D.W. Griffith was uh, um, all about, uh, yeah, he didn't think that black people could play black people, so you had white people and blackface um, acting horribly. I don't know, you know, I mean, not in the sense of it's being racist, but just, you know, terrible acting, you know. I don't know what they're you know going for, but anyway, um, so this 1915... Uh, um, Birth of a Nation um, isn't, uh, you know, isn't as bad, but it's a pretty terrible uh, movie. It's oh, to, you mean this new this new, yeah, exactly. It's the opposite of 12, 12 Years a Slave because for me, Twelve Years a Slave was uh, amazing because it it came across as like a horror movie where the whole thing was just so frightening and scary, and the and the the music was like horror movie music, which I thought was a brilliant choice. I had never seen uh, a movie about slavery that had, uh, you know, that kind of a score, but it really um, underscored the danger and the, uh, the, you know. You're still talking about 12 Years of Slave. I know, right? No, I no should... I'm asking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I am. So anyway, let's talk about the birth of a nation. You're right, which which came across more as like a BET uh, movie of the week. Oh, or um, a lifetime. I thought or a lifetime. Yeah. Whoever makes movies of the week, 
I don't know who's ever making a movie of the week. It was just so cheesy. Well, I said I said BET just oh, because yeah. it was so cheesy. The way it was kind of like it was trying to give so much, uh, you know, like basically all the black people are are um, are you know wonderful and but every everyone's a cartoon. All the black people are wonderful and all the all the white people are are devils and. Um, yeah, it was just this weird. It wasn't well done. No, it, it wasn't. Like like when uh when Nat Turner is being uh is being uh whipped, he's uh he's smiling and um Which is supposed to be like defiance and standing strong, but yeah. I don't know. However strong you may be. I mean Yeah, and of course I don't wanna see, you know, somebody uh, you know, uh, the point isn't that like oh i want to see them in pain but it's you deny the uh the you know the the i don't know you're the, making the, it diminishing if, if this was your first time seeing someone whipped and like you didn't know which is ridiculous but who knows you know you just never seen it you might be like oh it doesn't hurt that much because he's laughing which just sounds so ridiculous but you you never know and like yeah it's making it seem like it wasn't so bad Right, exactly. Yeah, like in Twelve Years a Slave, like the there's that, no there's no question about how yeah, bad that, it was. That I mean, whipping scene was horrific to watch, and you're crying watching it. And then this, the whipping scene, you know, where I know he's trying to show that Nat Turner is defiant, but in seeking to give all these characters uh, dignity, it actually had the opposite effect because. It was kind of, uh, you know, disrespecting history and the plight of all these people who endured all this torture. Plus, I mean, to have that sort of pain and, like, be still smiling, I mean, yeah, I could see he wants to be strong, but you'd be, like, some sort of a sociopath, some sort of, like, actual psycho to be smiling through that kind of pain. That's not, like, something heroic. Plus, it's, like, taking away his human, like, his humanity, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's my point is yeah. thank you for saying it much more uh, articulately than, than I could uh, in this moment. But, yeah, exactly. That, that gives uh, more humanity to the characters to have them uh, behave in a human manner as opposed to this like superhero thing where it's like oh your whip doesn't hurt me you know because I'm you know uh, I don't know so uh, so dignified that I, I don't experience human pain I don't know but so, yeah when we tried this movie a couple <laughs> of times we tried it once and then we couldn't watch it anymore we're just like oh this is so bad and then we felt we needed to watch a whole thing again so we did give it another chance um, just, it just was, had, the directing was bad, the lighting was bad, the costumes were bad, so even if the script maybe had been good, and I don't know if it was a budget thing, maybe they just didn't have the tools they needed, it just looked cheesy, I think that's where we, well, I was saying it looks like it should be on cable, because it looked like shit. Ha, yeah, and it was bought for 17 point something million by Sundance. So I don't know what they did with that money. Excuse me, I mean Fox Searchlight Pictures after premiering at Sundance and winning Sundance. And then um, then the whole uh, thing with uh, Nate Parker, the, uh, you know, the, the writer-director and his rape case from 1999 came out. And then the studio, but they didn't know about that, which um, 
they either have to be lying or stupid because um, you know it's it's uh, it's public record, and it's weird that this never came up with the other like eighteen movies that that uh, you know Parker has done. The reason for this is probably best summed up with this quote from the sister of Nate Parker's rape victim. The actual rape victim committed suicide in 2012. As her sister, the thing that pains me most of all is that in retelling the story of the Nat Turner slave revolt, they invented a rape scene. The rape of Turner's wife is used as a reason to justify Turner's rebellion. This is fiction. I find it creepy and perverse that Parker and Celestin, that's the co-writer of the movie and co- raper of the woman in real life, would put a fictional rape at the center of their film and that Parker would betray himself as a hero avenging that rape. Given what happened to my sister and how no one was held accountable for it, I find this invention self-serving and sinister and I take it as a cruel insult to my sister's memory. Parker's career seems to be over. Meanwhile, you have like Woody Allen and Casey Affleck who... You know, they just keep on going, and, um, well, everyone knows about the Woody Allen thing, but if you don't know Casey Affleck when he was making that, uh, that mockumentary thing with, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, what, I'm, I'm still here, or I'm, what was it called? I'm still not here, or I'm still here, whatever. Anyway, Casey Affleck was, uh, was sexually harassing the uh, the women involved in the uh, the production and basically paid them off out of court. You know, gave them some uh, some hush money, and nobody's asking any more questions about that. And Manchester by the Sea is everyone's darling, and and I just think it's kind of uh, not kind of it's very uh, odd that. Uh, Parker's career is done. That's it, you know. Well, let's and, hope that's not. Well, I don't know. It's well, not, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. exactly. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know why I'm saying that, but it seems. Oh, as far as the birth of a nation's Oscar chances, that is definitely done, and it's because of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And of course, they always say right. you should, you should separate the. Um, what what was that? Oh, but also, it's a terrible movie. Yeah, yeah, I know. It is a terrible movie, but I think people would have liked it if it wasn't for all this behind-the-scenes stuff. And, you know, they always say that you should, sub, you know, uh, keep the, uh, you know, the politics out of art and the art out of politics. But, I mean, that's, that's simply uh, impossible. I mean, maybe people could try to do that, but we're influenced by hearing about the personal lives of people and with uh with Woody Allen he seems to uh you know be pretty much unaffected by his uh you know his molestation stuff with uh with Dylan Farrell yet um you know, in Casey Affleck, like I said, he, he, you know, gave him some hush money and, and everyone loves Manchester by the sea, but Birth of a Nation was really supposed, especially after Oscars So White last year, um, you know, that for that reason, I believe, uh, Birth of a Nation was supposed to be... It had a ch yeah, it would have had a shot. Yeah, which, and, and that's another, yeah, another you know, example of politics getting involved where 
unfortunately, because of last year's Oscars So White, it's sad that they wanted to use Birth of a Nation like, you know, a, a, you know, a rallying, you know, tentpole thing for, uh, for black audiences and, and to, you know, basically make everyone happy that here's a, a black movie that's a black story, you know, created by black people. The whole FUBU thing is positive for us, by us, but the tenets of political correctness put way too much emphasis on who is telling the story instead of what the story is or if the story is any good or instead of the validity of the story itself. I mean, if an Asian woman wants to tell a Holocaust story, great. If a transgender Latino wants to tell a story about black slavery, that's great. But it seems to be a taboo thing nowadays to tell somebody else's story, quote-unquote. And watching Birth of a Nation, I was kind of reminded of uh, Django, or I'm sorry, Django Unchained, which, you know, some people might find that insulting historical revisionism and inglorious bastards like Jewish torture porn, or whatever you think of those movies, they are presented as revisionist history, alternate realities, fantasies, not history. And it's disturbing to me that The Birth of a Nation is trying to pass itself off as a history lesson because it's really, you know, not that accurate. And lately, Turner has been compared to Lincoln, but... I don't remember Lincoln killing a woman or having his cohorts kill children in their cribs. And just because you share the ethnicity of a character doesn't mean you share their plight. It's not our racial legacy and birthright to tell your ethnicity's story. I mean, whatever anti-Semitism I've endured doesn't automatically make me an authority on the Holocaust or make me think like, oh, I've personally experienced that. It doesn't mean I personally lived Auschwitz in the 1940s. I mean, whatever racism Nate Parker endured doesn't mean he understands what it's like to be a slave in the 1830s. Your ethnicity story is not your personal story. Human stories for all humans is what I say. Yeah, I wish there wasn't all this politics involved, like oh, yeah. like the personal lives of these people. Or, um, you know, people who deserved an Oscar, you know, two years ago and didn't get it. And so they're going to give it to them this year mm -hmm. because it's a slow year. Or, you know, because... They are the academy's voting for the cause and not for the uh, for the picture, but the performances. You know, because they're they're saying, okay, you know, now it's the time for for the world to take notice of human trafficking or you know whatever the sure, sure. whatever the thing may be. And um, yeah, and I think uh, it is an amazing story. But yeah, it was just done in such a. Uh, such a, a, a poor way to try and give the characters dignity which you could do that simply by telling a human story um, trying to give the characters dignity like you know the uh, Nat Turner's wife had those long manicured nails you know and and everything was just too uh, whitewash so to speak where everything was just too manicured and and um, 
and looked too good. And and the uh, the slaves kept mad dogging the whites and oh, and the way they were speaking. And that that really got me angry that they were mad dogging the whites, not because I care about whites being mad dogged, but a slave. That's the whole point of not the whole point, but that's the whole you know, evil of the whole slavery system is you can't glare at the slave master like you're going to kill him. I mean, you can't get away with that. And so that really bothered me, all these kind of anachronistic things like that. And then the dialogue, like you said, was just like, I was just ready for them to say, cowabunga dude, or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. It just was terrible. They, and They would literally, like, they'd say things like, bye, and... See you later. Like, just things that you would never, nobody would have said that back then. Right, yeah. And I get it. They're trying to appeal to, like, the new generation. But don't make a historical film like that. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, it just got too sloppy with, um, you know, they say, yep. And, like, you know, it's, it's 1831. So, I mean, people were not that, uh, not that casual. And then there's things that didn't make sense that maybe you know, this had some historical accuracy to it, but they had these slaves that were on a hunger strike and then the the master knocked their teeth out and it didn't make any sense that they would knock their teeth out because because um, then you're basically, you're, you're, you're destroying your, your property, uh, you know, because the slaves, you know, you're going to get infections and the, the slave could quite possibly die from that. And it just didn't make sense, you know, that. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, the in an effort to give these characters dignity, it was just, it backfired and it had the opposite effect. And when they had, there was like a candle vigil at one point where all the slaves come out with like a billion candles. And I don't understand that. Did the, did the master give them a, a, a charge account at Bed Bath & Beyond or aromatherapy? I don't understand where... Where all those candles came from, and then there's too much religious propaganda. I felt, um, well, you know, that with the me, with the Christianity of the, yeah, I felt. I mean, that was his vehicle. That's how he rose to the top. True, true, but I felt like it went beyond, you know, um, like Turner's preaching because you're right. He he was he he did come to you know his his power through. Um, through Christianity and through preaching. But um, I felt like the propaganda became too much at the end when he was being hung and you had the angel, you know, floating around. Oh, yeah, there was this angel at the end that had a costume that looked like it was purchased at Halloween Town. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really like, we need an angel costume. I mean, it looked like a Halloween costume out of a package. Right. That's terrible. Oh and, and oh oh and I could see where they have you know, they don't have enough money to spend on, you know, uh uh some angel outfit, but they could have avoided that just by shooting it in silhouette or from a different angle. It was just it was sloppy directing, you know, that that really was the uh the problem and not so you know not so much that they're doing close up on this uh yeah this this cheap halloween town you know angel wings oh and there was like a battle the big battle scene was just directed terribly we didn't know who's shooting at who who was who right remember it was just like 
a big skirmish, and it was it was just really confusing. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Which way were they coming? And did they win, or were they hiding? It was just that was not good. And you know, at the end of the day, this it's not the best story because they lose the battle, so they have to try to find some sort of a silver lining. You know, they have this rebellion, but it sucks because they lose. So really, it's sort of a shitty tale. Yeah, and they try and make it more inspirational by having one of the um, one of the children who witnesses the uh, the hanging of uh, of Turner. Um, they they cut from his face at the hanging to him as an older man fighting in the Civil War, where. And I guess hence the the birth of a nation idea that with Nat Turner, um, you know, became the, you know, started the seeds of the rebellion that went into the Civil War, um, which, uh, which is kind of convoluted because it's, that's not really, you know, how it, how it happened. After that failed rebellion, things became much worse for the slaves and then later on, when there was the Civil War, that was really about, you know, economics and not the, the legacy of Turner, you know, oh, which, which the whites were petrified of, you know? Yeah, and then we were trying to do the math, and we're not really sure, but it seems like if that kid in the crowd was like 10... In 1830. Oh, yeah, because Turner died in 1831, and the Civil War started in um, 1861. So the boy uh, would be too old to be fighting in the Civil War. I mean, he looks like he's 20 in the Civil War, but he would be, you know, in his 40s by then. So, but, yeah, so, again, they're trying to make the the defeat of the Turner Rebellion into the liberation of of uh, the slaves through the uh, the Civil War which is you know kind of a, a stretch and oh there was another thing the um, when uh, Turner's uh, uh, wife was beaten you know with like an inch within an inch of her life and then a couple scenes later there's no blemish on her whatsoever and and again you know maybe that's trying to be you know show you know that like her dignity that she overcame but i mean that's a physical thing that's got nothing to do with you know the perseverance of the human spirit when you know when the when the human body is hurt to a certain degree scars are left and they don't go away but um, yeah, so all she, the hair and makeup was terrible. Yeah, all the hair and makeup was terrible, and and you know all the. But it was just so corny. It's like all the whites were drunk, and and there was that artifact from Africa, you know that that um, you know that that I think uh, I forget who oh, gave yeah. to who. Oh, and I was God. like, where did that artifact come from? I mean, you yeah, know, someone said someone gave somebody like this trinket. And he's like, oh, my grandmother brought this from Africa on the ship. And we're like, where? How? How did you bring this gold item to America while you were, like, shackled at the bottom of a boat? Yeah, that didn't seem to uh to I mean, make it's nice and it's a beautiful sense. idea. And I, I hope that something like that could have been true. But it just seemed a little too revisionary for our taste. And for a movie that we hated, we've just spent... 
<laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. Okay, and so yeah, and the and the white family owning Turner was was too nice. You know that seemed to be like political correctness of today. You know, uh, projected onto onto history. And yeah, and and ultimately, I just thought like, you know, did uh, uh, what kind of uh, research did Parker do? Any? You know, it just didn't seem to. Uh, and at the end of the movie, they had all those people hanging. And I mean, my God, it was just so gratuitous that, I mean, I, I don't know. I could, you know, cry so easily at anything. And, and uh, you know, when I saw all those people hanging, I just, I don't know. I just was like, oh, wrap it up. Wrap it up. Oh, Enough. yeah. I cried everything too. But it was just like the lightning. And I don't know if this is just how I'm remembering it, but I feel like, there was like blue light and like a smoke machine, right? Like, wasn't it just like the way they were just like lit, like very dramatic and yeah. sentimental. And we were supposed to care about these characters, but like we didn't know any of them. Right. We kept doing like close ups on each of them, like slowly, like through. And I'm like, I don't know who they are. I had no reason to care about them. And, and then the lighting was so cheesy with that smoke machine and everything. Right, and it was just, exactly, I everything just, was so fake and inauthentic and forced and gratuitous that, anyway, see 12 Years a Slave, um, instead of Birth of a Nation. Um, okay, so moving on, Hell or High Water, I thought this was, uh, I thought this was really good. I, I liked the, um, you know, the idea of the... Um, you know, the good guys robbing the banks because the banks had robbed them. Uh, that was uh, very interesting and very relevant to today. Um, you know, Bridges plays this, uh, you know, this racist lawman that uh, at the same time he he has a uh, uh, an interesting uh, relationship with his uh, Indian co-worker. It was a very textured and human portrayal i thought because even though he you know he's old-fashionedly racist he still has you know good qualities to him and i like the uh the give and take back and forth between him and his uh his indian partner who uh who had some very uh interesting things to to say about uh genocide and history and and the way things uh turn out um but uh yeah i thought you know i thought it was i thought it was really good um um the man who knew infinity oh uh, i could only do a few minutes of it it um you know it, it reminded me of uh you know the spoon feeding of you know a, a children's movie but what the movie was about was theoretical math that is very uh, esoteric and deep, but they didn't even get into the math at all. They, they had this long exposition set up of, you know, the, uh, the Indian man coming to England and um, with, I guess it was Dev Patel and the Englishman is Jeremy Irons. And... Um, yeah, the exposition was just painful, and I thought, my God, at the end of this, the whole, the payoff is math, and I'm not big into math, so I was like, 
you know, there. I doubt I'm going to learn anything about theoretical math or anything with this kind of spoon feeding of the obvious with the uh, with the setup. Um, oh, um, Tallulah, you saw this one. What'd you think of Tallulah? Oh, that was a really cute little independent type of film. Was that wait? Which one was that? Was the one with the girl in the van and stole the baby? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, that's good. Everyone should see that. Yeah, I mean, I really liked um, how uh, Paige, she basically kind of, you know, grows up trying to, you know, protect this baby that she she stole from an unfit mother. And, you know, even if a mother is unfit, you probably shouldn't steal her baby. But that's what she does. And... Um, I really liked the like kind of subjective fantasy sequences that it went into. That was uh, that was cool when she felt like she was floating away, and then you know it would cut cut oh, to her like right. actually floating up into yes. the because it kind of you know gave a uh, a physical manifestation of her emotional state. Um, oh, and then it had the old theme of uh, her uh, helping. Um, oh my God, what's her name? The mother-in-law, as it were. Um, oh my God, do you know who she is? Um, no, I can't remember her name. That's oh, why I didn't well, bring her whatever up. whatever her name is. Um, <laughs> she's in everything. So oh, she, that's great. She's yeah, in everything. she's in everything. She's great. That narrows it so down. she, uh, so anyway. Janny? Jenny? Yeah. Janny. <laughs> Janny, check her and, out. Anyway, moving on. Wait, no, it's important because, so she helps her to like, Get her groove back. No, I meant moving on on her name. Oh, yeah. Allison Janney. She um, she gets to, you know, find her love of life again. And that's really who she saves in the end. The so, mother. The mother. So right. It's that old story again. This, you know, repressed woman living a boring life. And then this young girl comes and helps her to learn to love life again. Another Netflix movie is Mascots by Christopher Guest and this was a lot of fun I mean it's not uh, anything amazing but you basically have different mascots from uh, what athletic events or team mascots and uh, their um, their life outside of the costume so to speak and it's the same kind of, uh, you know, mockumentary thing. Um, not bad, not bad. Um, you know, nothing really to say about it besides that. Uh, War Dogs. This was uh, an entertaining uh, movie, but at the end of the day, it's about uh, weapons dealers and... One of them is a total scumbag played by Jonah Hill. And then the other one is supposed to be the nice guy. But if you're involved in weapons or arms dealing, you're not a nice guy, even if you're letting Jonah Hill lead you around. Um, the nice guy um, is a massage therapist and Jonah Hill gets him into arms dealing and um it uh you know it just doesn't seem you know necessary for him to get into uh to arms dealing well he was having a baby 
He's like, oh, we're having a baby. I better do something to make money. Oh, how about arms dealing? Like as if, you know, he had exhausted all other options. It was like a little ridiculous. You know, they were trying to make it seem like it was he was pushed to this. And it's like you're pushed to this. There's like a bazillion other things you could do before arms dealing. Right. And then right. It, again, it followed the old formula of the Wolf of Wall Street and Goodfellas and everything else where, you know, then the, the money and the coke were flowing. Life was good. And then the downfall. So it's just that same story again right. and again and again. So, Right. She always uh, imitates the voiceover that we see. That she's, I think we, she first came up with it on, uh, what was it, Narcos? Because Narcos, that uh, that series, um, has all this unnecessary voiceover, I guess trying to um, put more uh, English in it instead of just Spanish language. But I wish it was just all in Spanish with subtitles because to, you know, repeat everything in English is just annoying. And they kept doing the voiceover like, you know, sure, we knew it was wrong. Sure, we knew that we were killing people left and right. But the coke kept flowing and the money kept coming and everyone just kept their mouth shut. And, you know, there's so many shows that have that, um, you know, that stupid yeah. voiceover. And that's exactly what they did in War Dogs. They had that voiceover like, yeah. Sure, we knew it was illegal. Yeah, we were breaking the law. Would we go to hell? Probably. But the money and the bitches kept flowing and the blah, 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 blah. You know? So, anyway. Um, I definitely had that motif. Yeah. But yeah, the good guy was still trying to be like, oh, I'm just a good guy. And did he ever cheat on his wife? I don't know. But Jonah Hill just kept getting like more and more of a douchebag and a cokehead and... And then he was like turned on him. I don't know if there was any coke in War Yeah. Or, like, or maybe Jonah. Yeah, Jonah, Jonah Hill was, was doing, doing the coke. Yeah, coke. that's true. You're right. You're totally right. He's always doing coke. Um, that's how in he stays so skinny. Right. <laughs> but um, I think. Uh, it's a fun, watchable movie. Yeah, it is a fun, watchable I movie. Think guys and guys like it. And there's a falling out between, uh, you know, Jonah Hill and the, and the other guys. So, so you kind of. Um, I guess could feel better about going on this ir immoral romp and feel like, oh, at least uh, the good guy, um, you know, stopped hanging out with the uh, with the bad guy. Anyway, so uh, so yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, Sully, which uh, you know I I thought was uh, was decent, but you see the same thing over and over and over again. You know, you know what happens going into the movie. Or what didn't happen. <coughs> it's a movie about something that didn't happen. <coughs> Excuse me. What I mean is, you know that he he landed in the Hudson, but then you see that a couple times reenacted, and then they do the flight simulators, you know, reenacting it again. And... Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a good movie, but it's just kind of uh, you know reiterating the same thing over and over and over again because the the insurance company doesn't want to pay up and they're trying to blame Sully and he's saying you know you uh, you know there's no accounting for uh, you know for my human uh, decision 
you know, and these uh, these simulators don't uh, don't accurate accurately, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, portray the thing. That was interesting. They had they they just had to stretch it out because you know again the plane didn't crash. Yes, it was heroic of him, but you know they had to make a whole you know hour and a half movie out of it. So stretching it out, showing it happen, you know, twice we had to watch the plane not crash or him land, however you want to look at it. And, um, yeah, and I love it's like Laura Linney's the wife, but they're never in one scene together. It's just all telephone, the telephone acting. Um, but, you know, it's very watchable. It's a blockbuster. It has something for everyone, as my mom says, that Tom Hanks was snubbed by the Oscar that he wasn't nominated. She thought he was great. So it's uh, feel well, yeah. good. Oh, the hero. I mean, it was like if it's gonna happen somewhere, it might as well happen in New York. Thank God it happened in New York City. The first responders and all that, and brought a little tear to my eye as a New Yorker. It's uh, it's you know, it's a nice picture. <laughs> and um, yeah, Hanks did a, a good job with the with the role, but yeah, I hardly think it's like Oscar worthy because. There's really not that much, uh, you know, going on emotionally. I mean, he's just, uh, he's just like, hey, stop breaking my balls. I, uh, I did what I, you know, had to do, and it, and, and it worked, and, uh, and that's it. But uh, yeah, so then, uh, live by night. I don't understand how Ben Affleck did Argo, and then he did this picture. I don't get it. I mean, with Goodwill Hunting. Oh, know. this one. Oh. What? This movie. I you know, it was so bad. I thought I didn't see it. Oh, <laughs> I wish I right. hadn't seen it. I didn't the name has nothing to do with the movie. It's stupid. It was I don't know. I think they must have thought it was going to be like the next Godfather or the next God knows what. And then it just looked chintzy and cheesy once they shot it. Yeah, when they were driving around, it looked like a, a, a video game. You know, it was like the bad CGI and like... Um, and I'm sure he wanted to be like in the period piece and wear the fedoras and be like this gangster. So I'm sure he that appealed to him. Sure, sure. But shit, I mean... But it I, didn't work. Everybody loves that, but I mean... Or not, or most people love it, but I mean, why? I, mean, I don't understand how he could do Argo and then do this movie. It reminds me of uh, Goodwill Hunting, where you know it was Matt Damon and Ben Affleck wrote this uh, amazing screenplay, but then William Goldman in his book says, you know, when the studio brought these kids to me with their shitty script about the CIA and 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 car chases and bullshit i came up with this you know amazing story that is goodwill hunting and it makes me you know wonder if you know like if somebody was directing for ben affleck in in argo i mean he didn't he didn't write that but with live by night he he wrote it i mean it was based on a book but he wrote it and directed it and um yeah, anyway, my point is with these hit and miss things, I wonder if Did he direct Argo? Oh yeah, yeah of course he did. Yeah. With yeah. these with you know, with you know, doing something so amazing and then doing something so shitty. I mean, they can't all be gems, but 
It doesn't even have the same look. I mean, it looks like a piece of shit. You would think if this, if the director had like an eye to have. I mean, Argo just looks amazing, and the yeah. editing, maybe he has a great cinema. Maybe he had a great cinematographer. Well, I mean, and like, a great editor on Argo. Like they say in Argo, or John Goodman says in Argo. He goes, you know, you give me two days and I could teach a, a rhesus monkey how to direct. Mm. And maybe um, Ben Affleck is just a rhesus monkey. Um, but I just don't understand how he could make something so good like Argo and then make, I mean, again, they can't all be gems, but it's not like Live by Night is a noble failure or has glimmers of genius or has, you know, touches of elegance it's just such a piece of shit that you're like my god this looks like a uh, a video game not a not a movie but um i don't know whatever he's a he's a douchebag my sister was at the golden globes and he comes up to her and he goes are your tits real my sister was at the golden globes did i mention that yeah my sister was there <laughs> anyway, he's always being a drunk scumbag. And so's his brother Casey. Um, what else do we got here? Um, La La Land. What oh, do you say well, about we that? Definitely have to say a lot about that. The big movie of the year. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not really big on musicals, but uh, I, you know, I liked it until the the lovers were kept apart for no good reason you know it was it was like okay she's got to go to paris for a couple months so what i mean your love can't be very true or real or deep if going away for you know for a couple months to paris means that the romance is over so to me that invalidated the whole love story because if you can't just take a two-month break, then how deep is your love? Yeah, well, I my expectations were off the Richter scale, and then I saw it, and I, I liked At first, I was like, ugh, I hated the opening scene. I love musicals, by the way. And then it grew on me, and I was totally into it. And then, yeah, at the end, I was like, what? But I was still crying. But I will say, you know, I still think it just kills me that... Um, you know, Ryan Gosling, you know, you can't sing, you can't dance. And there's so many talented people out there. You can't tell me there's not some kid out there who's like bursting with talent in some small town or at some college somewhere who could actually sing and dance. That's just what kills me. There's so few opportunities for singing and dancing. And then they keep casting these people who are just famous because they need a name for the movie and everyone's gonna say oh he did a great job or whatever i don't know i don't i don't find him like so appealing he's got these beady little eyes but apparently i'm the only person because everyone else seems to love this guy and yeah they had it they had to teach him how to play the piano there's all the people out there that can play the piano they couldn't find a guy who can sing and dance and play the piano it's just it's kind of sad and you know, there's all this talk about it. it. was such a brave choice, and studios took a risk with us. It's like took a risk on a movie about Hollywood, like Hollywood's favorite theme. Come on, there's no risk. I mean, this was not a risky endeavor. Oh, so that's a good... patting themselves that's on the a back. Good, that's a good point, because you were saying how um, that 
yeah, it was really not that uh, big of a, of a risk. Maybe, you know, to get the financing might have been hard, but a, a musical is really, you know, that's not revolutionary. But something like Laz Berman's uh, Moulin Rouge, which was years ago, um, that is more, you know, that was more revolutionary. Yeah, how did that pitch meeting go, you know? Yeah, and I don't, did a- that win anything? Mm, I don't think so. But, but I mean, yeah, I mean, editing or something. But yeah, so La La Land's a traditional musical, whereas in Moulin Rouge, you have something you know set in La Belle Epoque, Paris, but the the directing was revolutionary with those crazy you know camera. Um, I forget what that process is called anyway, but the directing was revolutionary and that must have been, like you said, a hard pitch because it's like, okay, we're going to do something set in turn of the century uh, France at the Moulin Rouge based on La Boheme, but it's going to be a bunch of, uh, you know, pop tunes, you know, a bunch of karaoke favorites. (laughs) I mean, that's a bizarre pitch. Yeah, and then you have La La Land, which is just like, you know, paying homage or whatever to every musical and romantic thing out there. Um, which I really liked. I love that song, The Audition. It's totally a rehash of Rainbow Connection, like the sentiment of the song. But I could do a whole podcast about La La Land. I, I've grown to love it. I think it's great. You're great. Okay. <laughs> Hacksaw Ridge. Um it's uh it's a I think it's a great story, you know, about this pacifist who saved all these lives and, you know, all the shit that they gave him for not, you know, picking up a gun. And um, you know, again, a great story, but it was it was pretty cheesy in the execution. I mean, Mel Gibson with his directing, he always seems to think like more is more and that's the way, you know, this movie was uh, was done. You know, everything from Andrew Garfield's accent to, uh, you know, the, the music swelling at every, you know, moment. Um, I didn't really feel like I was in, you know, World War II. Just, like, the look of it. And also, um, like that guy who they call Hollywood, who was, you know, naked half the time. He wasn't buff in a 1940s kind of way where you have a couple of dumbbells or, uh, or that metal coil that you pull. I mean, he looked like he went to crunch every day and worked on all those machines and had a you know, personal trainer. But anyway, it was, uh, it was good, um, except, you know, uneven, kind of like Vince Vaughn's performance. He's very funny, of course, you know, being the smartass, no one does that better. But when it comes to actual acting, um, you know, the guy refuses to, uh, to do any work. I mean, when he was, when he was shot, um, he acted like, uh, Dean Martin with the, with the smoke and a drink, you know, he was just like, you know, he's acting so cool instead of feeling the pain of uh what was his leg falling off or something i don't know but 
he just was uh, phoning it in as per usual, and uh, you know that's unfortunate. But uh, but yeah, overall it's uh, it's a good story. I don't think it's uh, you know best picture material. Oh, but what is best picture material? Oh, okay. oh yeah. Oh, and I don't like I didn't like that Andrew Garfield's neck. It really bugs me. He's got this long neck. It's like a giraffe. So I can't. I don't like that kid. So I don't know why he's like the hot ticket item. He's like a pinhead on a long neck. Very annoying. <laughs> like a lollipop head? And it's like, I get it. Like, oh, what a beautiful story. He didn't want to kill anyone. But I just keep thinking, like, well, what if everybody thought that way? And I know they keep saying that in the movie. And, like, it's great he went out there and helped and whatever. But, like, what if everybody had that idea? Then there'd be no war, Christina. Well, it, the enemies might have that idea. You said everybody. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it was nice. But, yeah, it was cheesy and sentimental and very, like, Mel Gibson. But, you know, good for him. Um, people like it. Blockbuster, right? Or has a wide uh, interest in it. You know, appeals to a lot of people. My mom liked it. Which is always how we know what's good. <laughs> okay um and speaking of uh good and not good uh bridget jones's baby oh my gosh okay i love bridget jones my named my daughter after bridget jones okay the first one this one uh, the second one was bad and i was like well maybe they had time to get it together and get a good script you had like 10 years to write a new script so bad. I mean, she has not advanced at all. And it was cute to be like a dingbat and make those stupid faces when she was supposed to be 31 or 30 or whatever. But now she's like 40-something, and it's just not cute. It's pathetic. And not that you can't make cute faces, but just like her dinginess. It just... She has not grown or changed at all. And that was just... It was just sad and pathetic, right? Yeah, I mean the whole movie. I mean, I liked the first one, and the this you know second one was tolerable, barely, right? I mean, the second one was pretty bad, but nothing like this. But yeah, this was yeah, this was an abortion. My God, it was just terrible. And what do you had, Pat? Oh, she goes to uh, Coachella or some music thing, and and uh, Patrick Dempsey happens to like stumble into her tent. And then, oh, what? She stumbled into his tent. Oh. He's just like laying there, just, you know, because hot guys are always just like laying around by themselves doing nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's not even worth talking about. It was just so unbelievably bad. Yeah. And I can't believe that they got uh, Colin Firth to, uh, you know, do this, uh, this third installment, you know? I'm sure they had high hopes and, you know, they had faith in the director and he signed on. You don't know. How it's going to come out, you know, and um, well, when you read the script and it's like a steaming pile of shit, you know it's going to come out poorly. Yes, it, it's just it's just so absurd that she would have these two hot guys who know that she's not sure which of them is the dad. I mean, the premise itself is ridiculous. Like any two guys would be like, "Oh, I'm gonna stick around and just be, you know, whatever, and see in case it's my baby." Meanwhile, these two like hot, successful guys, and 
falling all over her. It's just so unrealistic. It was just like embarrassing because it just kept emphasizing how this would never happen. It's almost like making it worse. So instead of like being like, okay, single ladies in your 40s, this could happen to you. It just seemed so unrealistic that it would just, it just was made it sympathetic. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. And, you know, that's the third movie. You figure, okay, we could end with this third installment, you know, the trilogy. But the, the movie ends with seeing the newspaper that says that um, um, Hugh Grant is still alive. And that's obviously to set up another one. And I was like, oh, my God, the, the gall of these people. Like, why would they want to go past this? But, you know, there's there, there might be Bridget Jones's baby's baby coming in the future. And then you have um, Emma Thompson, bless her heart. Somehow she ended up in, in this role as the OB. This role could have been like an extra. There was no purpose of having her in that role. I, I don't know. But I have to say, she was the only thing redeeming about the movie. She's always great. Her scenes, yeah. And her scenes were, she was actually funny. Yes. And she was the only thing funny in this, you know, unfunny uh, train wreck of a movie. Um, okay. Yeah, so was she was that. funny. So yeah. Too bad. She had some good Big lines flop. and good delivery. Um, and it wasn't really the lines, it was more just her. Miss um, Sloan. Um, ah, this is an interesting one. This movie was so good. You have Jessica Chastain. She's this like hot shot PR ad lady, spin doctor, what have you. And um, she's just like exactly what you think of like a hard-nosed business lady. She gets the uh, male prostitute. Um, it just it looks really cool. It twists on itself. I think it's uh, really, I don't know, I really like this one. How about you? Yeah, me too. Uh, I concur. I don't okay. have anything really to add. Uh, Manchester by the Sea. Oh, no. Why do people love this movie so much? I know Kenneth Lonergan is uh, a great writer, but um, for me, not with this one. I mean, it's just so long, and it juxtaposes this domestic tragedy with all these beautiful shots of Massachusetts. It looks like it's a travel video. Yeah, it's like, Massachusetts, come for the scenery, stay for the pain. And it's just, um, I don't know why people love it. I mean, all the shots in church in slow motion with the angels singing. Yes, it's tragic. I get it. But why does everyone love Casey Affleck's performance? He's an emotionally stunted, kind of shut down, working class Joe. Yes, that's realistic, but I don't understand why everyone thinks that's a an amazing, riveting performance. It's like he's out, you know, I mean, he's not out. He's, he's at home and he's, uh, yeah, and I guess he goes out and then the fire takes place. Yeah, and which, by the way, people that live there said, you can't just go to, like, the grocery store and get beer at 2 o'clock in the morning. 
you have to go to the state-run liquor stores, and they're only open, like, particular hours. So that whole thing right there is ridiculous. Oh, I didn't even yeah. I didn't know that was Marissa, true. And Marissa told me about that. In Boston, yeah, I Yeah, and his character doesn't evolve at all. It's, like, the main rule of screenwriting and I guess I don't know if that was the idea that he's going to break all the rules but like the character does not evolve at all and he has no range it's like I don't want to see someone screaming a whole movie I don't want to see someone like holding it in I don't think he was holding in shit I think he can't act and he's trying to pass it off as like something deep going on underneath oh my god I hate this movie I can't stand how like nobody's accountable for their actions they never mentioned that, like, this whole thing happened because he was drunk. He just keeps on drinking. No one ever addresses the drinking. How about the other mother, the mother of the kid, who, I guess, she was an alcoholic. And then, no, right? Who, yeah, the, the kid's mother. And, like, then she goes off and, like, finds Jesus, and she's with Matthew Broderick. And, like, they don't really explain why the mother doesn't want her own child back, which is, like, so weird. It just it just doesn't make any sense. Michelle Williams was the best thing about this movie. She was amazing. And the rest of it is a piece of shit. <laughs> and the kid's cheating on his girlfriend. And if Casey Affleck's supposed to be such a great guy, he can't even, like, smack him in the head and be like, what the fuck are you doing, you know? And, yeah, I don't like how they had to keep underlining that you know, it's it's like he deserves this. He deserves this. Because not only was he drunk, he was high on pot and he oh. and, and coke. So it's like, in case you didn't miss the fact that he did this to his children, there's alcohol, there's marijuana, and there's cocaine. And, um, you know, that's the tragedy. Okay, move it on. Um, L. This is uh, is an interesting movie. I mean, it's I didn't really care for it, but I it, it at least was interesting and, and kept my uh, my attention. Um, on one hand, it kind of looked like a, you know a glossy soap opera, but it was you know much deeper than your typical soap opera fare and. Um, the whole rape thing, it seemed like, I mean, it's ambiguous and that's what's interesting about it, but it seemed like it wasn't just a rape thing. It seemed like it was sex games with her, with her neighbor. I mean, maybe I'm missing the point, but it seemed to be on some level reciprocal and the story as far as I could tell, is basically this woman has rape games with her neighbor, and then at the end of the movie, her son, um, you know, finds his mom getting uh, raped by the neighbor, and he kills the uh, the neighbor. But they were just playing their sick rape games, so whoops. But I don't understand why people love this movie so much. Um, Again, I mean, it was interesting because it wasn't typical. It wasn't like your formulaic Hollywood movie. But I don't know why people like it so much. It's not like it is, you know, inspirational. But maybe because she's not a victim, because she fights back. 
but it seemed to be more than fighting back. To me, it seemed to be like they that was part of their sick relationship was the was these kind of rape games that they had going on. And uh, what you're laughing at rape games? Yeah, I'm like, how many times is he going to see rape games? <laughs> Every four years, we have the rape games. It's like <laughs> the Hunger Games, but a lot worse. Um, well, that's or better. Disturbing. Yeah. Anyway, so that's uh, that's L, which was um, yeah interesting, but I guess it's a movie that they say could never be made in America because there's no clear victim. And, um, I heard that, and she's very, uh, nasty as a, uh, as a character, but, um, yeah, I, I just felt like, again, I'm going to say rape games, <laughs> and it seemed like it was a consensual thing that they both, uh, liked, but maybe I'm, uh, I'm, I'm missing something. It's happened before. Um, Tony Erdman. Oh, the German comedy. Oh, so funny. Anyway, this movie was three hours long. And, um, yeah, it took me a couple viewings. But it finally had a payoff. It's just that, you know, there's like two hours of, you know, setup before it starts to, uh, to have a payoff. It's basically there's this guy who... Um, Tony Erdman, who's kind of based on uh, Andy Kaufman's Tony Clifton character, and um, his daughter is this like uptight cor uh, uptight corporate type, and he's trying to get her to loosen up and have fun and you know just be more uh, carefree. But his uh, his jokes could be so annoying that. For the first two hours, I was identifying with the daughter. I was like, why why doesn't this dad stop with his stupid shtick? Because, uh, you know, she's, she's on this business thing, and he's just, you know, he should help her expedite her business relationships and help her in business as opposed to, um, you know making all these awkward, embarrassing, weird moments for his daughter. I'm like, what kind of a good dad are you? This sounds so weird. I mean, if you heard this, it sounds very strange. It sounds so weird. If who heard this? Anyone listen? No one's listening to this podcast. Nobody's going to hear this. I mean, what kind? Yeah, that's okay. That sounds like a winner. Who, oh, Tony Erdman? But I guess it's all... It's, anything can be good. It's just all how it's done. Yeah, so the first two hours are kind of like the setup. And then the last hour, it's kind of, um, you know, starts to be uh, rewarding. But it's not really funny. I mean, there's like maybe one chuckle that I had throughout the thing. It's more of a... Uh, the reward of it is more the relationship between the father and the daughter, which is tear jerking as opposed to uh, to uh, funny. But there's a you know there's a couple of mildly uh, amusing parts, like when Tony Erdman's daughter decides to go with her father's, uh, um, you know, business partner. No, S decides to go with her father's spirit. Of things and has a uh, a naked uh, dinner party or it's not a dinner party a naked business meeting basically <laughs> and 
And um, and then Tony, well, you see, you're laughing already. And then Tony Erdman comes in this giant fur suit, and um, yeah, the whole movie is uh, is bizarre. But um, yeah, I found it. I found it uh, a tearjerker. The the relationship between the father and and the daughter, and he's basically trying to teach her what's important because I think her her business associates and her are um are you know kind of into corporate greed and tony erdman's trying to uh spread some love but uh and the daughter comes around to his way of thinking but i like the ending is ambiguous where it's like how does she incorporate the two you know how is she an excellent businesswoman looking at the bottom line and gonna be this merry prankster you know spreading love and uh focusing on what's important anyway if you have three hours to kill check out tony erdman um they're gonna remake it with jack nicholson and Kristen wig and this will be uh jack nicholson's first feature since 2010 so looking forward to that Oh my gosh, I thought you were literally joking. No, 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 not no. Lit- I mean, I was literally not. Wow. Yeah. Okay, and then the Neon Demon, which He loves this one. I don't love it. I found it, you know, weird and and interesting. I'm not really saying that it's a a good movie, but, you know, it had a had a puma in a motel room. Come on. P22. Um, it's kind of like a long music video and it's, um, you know, not really, you know, that deep of a story, but I found it interesting with the, uh, the music and the visuals and the study of narcissism. Um, what do you have to say about it? Um... I don't know. Yeah, I just thought it was a lot of the same old thing with the Hollywood, you know, oh, come to Hollywood, the innocence is crushed. You know, that's been a big theme this year in a lot of the movies. And, uh, of course, you have Elle Fanning. She must be in every movie, apparently. And um, that's good. I thought it was a little bit like a guy's uh, dream. It's just like kind of like made for guys, just like, like one fantasy after another sort of strung together. Um, yeah, just, this is all right. And I didn't love it. Love and Friendship. Hmm. Which one was that? That was the Whit Stillman one with uh, Kate Beckinsale, the period piece. Oh, God. This is so bad. There's nothing else to say. Do not watch this. I love period pieces. I love anything, anything, anything like that. This is the worst <laughs> Kate Beckinsale, yeah, was just one note the whole time. There was no variation in anything she did, and they and kept introducing characters with like their names are like just when you think they cannot have any more characters, they'd be like the Whittenfields, you know, a stoic couple, and then they'd be like, you know, Sir Thomas Chapman, a happy romper, like it was just these ridiculous, like it was trying to be campy. But then not, right? It, it just never found its tone for real. And it Too seemed, many characters. Nobody knew what was going on. And it seemed anachronistic with the language where uh, it wasn't really, it didn't seem consistent. 
like Chloe yeah. Savini seemed to be oh yeah out her, of uh, time. Yes, her delivery was horrible. And uh, don't waste your time on that piece of shit. Okay, the comedian. Oh, this is a very interesting one. You know, it had some interest. Ugh, I hate to interesting. It had some good things about it. Like it's very watchable. I was horrified that he was going to have a relationship with the young girl. I was like, oh, please, God, I can't take another movie like this. So when that happened, that was disappointing. Um, some people hated it, like hate it. I don't think it is deserving of that much hatred. Yeah, I thought it was um, I thought it was entertaining. I mean, I like the relationship between Danny DeVito, Robert De Niro's brother, and he. And, that was good. But I think the, the big flaw is that this guy is supposed to be like this amazing comedian, like some sort of Lenny Bruce type, but all his material sucked. So if you're going to make a movie about an amazing comedian, you better write him some good stand-up or some good jokes because I'm like, why is this guy supposed to be, you know, this iconic, amazing comedian? Anyway, um, what else? We got uh, 20th Century Women, which uh, I really loved this movie. I thought it was great. Um, I loved how... Uh, the use of time lapse, uh, you know, photography, and um, the the use of um, what is it, Mike Mills's real mother? You saw pictures of her, and it was a very like personal autobiographical tale about how Mike Mills was raised by his uh, his single mom and um, and. Uh, basically a couple of women that were in the neighborhood and I just loved the way the story was told with the music the music and showing things that were being presented and uh, you know like with a white background white background for instance and the Birkenstocks that his mom wore or whatever is being discussed it had kind of like this stream of consciousness feel with a voiceover and then would cut to um anything i mean it was just very free with the uh with the direction where um the story was told in a non-traditional way and i um yeah and i really loved uh the the humor and the the humanity of the story what do you think yeah mm -hmm. She's nodding her head because that's good for a podcast. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, 20th Century Women, that might be my, uh, my favorite of the whole group. I really uh, loved the way, again, the story was told and the, um, yeah, just the, the basic humanity of the, the characters and the ingenuity of the... Uh, storytelling uh, moonlight i really liked moonlight a lot i it felt a little disjointed for me because the beginning of the movie is about this guy's childhood and then it jumps to him as an adult basically tracking down the uh the guy he had his first sexual encounter with um is really sad. He has his first sexual encounter with this guy, and then this guy, you know, turns on him. 
you know, to look cool in front of his friends and beats him up. But then they reunite in, you know, years down the road. And um, uh, it seems like, you know, they're both embracing, you know, who they really are. But the beginning of the movie seemed a lot more interesting to me. Um, the neighborhood crack dealer, who is like a surrogate father for the main character, who's actually selling crack to uh, the main character's mother while being father figure to him. Um, the beginning of the movie is all about that relationship, but then it uh, it jumps into the future, and I kind of am wondering what happened with the father figure guy, um, which, I don't know, that might be a criticism only I have, but um, that... You know, that was, I guess, you know, what are you going to find out about what happened to the to the drug dealer guy? There's probably nothing more to say about it. And it's more about the love affair between these two guys. But, um, yeah, anyway, that's that was my impression of it. Um, Blue Jay. What did you think of Blue Jay? Oh, Blue Jay was good, except it makes you feel uncomfortable because it's like, okay, these two lovers, like, reunite and have this beautiful moment, but she's, like, married, right, or engaged, she's married, and just was sort of icky, and I just, I can't stand that. It's like, well, we're having this magical moment alone, and no one else can understand, but... I understand. It's called cheating. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. I don't really like uh, romances that glorify cheating because that's just not very romantic to me. And the whole time I had that icky feeling like, you know, I want them to hook up, but then I know that she's going to be cheating on her husband that she allegedly loves. So I... But maybe that's the point. I'm supposed to feel conflicted as the viewer watching this thing. Um, but yeah, there was great chemistry and acting between the two of them. Um, I thought it got kind of lame with them, you know, rehashing all their like dorky jokes from when they were in high school. I mean, maybe they were funny to them in high school, but they weren't funny to me. And then it even did. They even did the uh, the gratuitous white people. Uh, uh, you know, pretending they're, they're black while rapping um, sequence, which, um, I don't know. I guess white people love that shit. I, uh, I'm personally tired of it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, great acting, great chemistry. Um, but um, yeah, it's all about, are they going to cheat? Are they going to cheat? And then when they start to cheat, it like really doesn't even work out and it's awkward and painful and then they start talking about you know the abortion that she had years ago and I'm like why wait uh I don't know take a painful trip down memory lane but um <clears throat> Christine if it bleeds it leads I like this this was set in 1974 and it looked like 1974 I mean, I was too young to notice the production design of 1974, but anyway, it, uh, it's about Christine Chubbuck, who uh, was a news reporter, and she, you know her station manager kept saying, if it bleeds, it leads, and go with the sensationalism. 
So she finally uh, blew her brains out on camera. Obviously not a very happy story, but um, I thought very interesting and, um, and very sad. Um, yeah, sometimes I feel like Christine Chubbuck. Okay, what else? For, uh, hidden Figures. Hidden Figures. Um, I love that this story is being told because I had no idea about these black women working at NASA and their contribution to the, uh, the space race. I thought that was really cool. But the way the story was told, it was pretty cheesy. I mean, Kevin Costner knocking down the, uh, you know, the segregated bathroom sign and saying, you know, we all pee one color. I was like, oh, God, didn't somebody uh, have, you know, didn't somebody think, oh, maybe we shouldn't go with that line? Anyway, I felt like that period of the 60s has so much great music, so much great black music, and so much great female black music in particular, that why didn't they use that music? Instead of some corny rap by Pharrell. I mean, it totally, you know, it's anachronistic, and it totally took me out of the story and the, uh, the time period. And, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a story about a group of black women, and there's certainly a lot of great music by black female groups that why did they use that music? Anyway, it was, a, it was a good movie, but I just thought it got, you know, pretty cheesy in times. And it also got anachronistic in the way of, you know, it's not the way things were, it's the way we wish they were. We wish things could happen. But just like, uh, you know, just like the slaves glaring at the slave masters angrily in The Birth of a Nation, I felt like the black women in uh, this story were getting, you know, just too sassy. I mean... Again, not that I don't want them to be sassy. <laughs> I'm just saying, unfortunately, they couldn't get away with doing that. I mean, that's... So the historical revisionism is what bothered me once again because it doesn't honor the plight of these historical characters. It doesn't honor what they actually went through because if they could, you know, say, go fuck yourself, they would. But they couldn't because that's the whole racist system that was, you know, in place. I mean, not that it's gone away completely, but, you know, things were different then. Um, okay, let's see. Um, rules don't apply. Yet again, another Hollywood. The girl coming to Hollywood with her big dreams. Creepy old man hitting on the young girl. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Warren Beatty was, uh, you know, or excuse me, Howard Hughes, the character, is having sex with this young girl and, um, and I pregnant. It gets her pregnant, and I thought like, hey, we saw um, DiCaprio and The Aviator. Why, why go over this same territory with a lesser story? Because it's basically the story of like Howard Hughes has all his um, 
his actresses slash concubines, you know, that he keeps under contract. And the chauffeur falls in love with one of them and um, decides to marry the girl and raise Howard Hughes' baby, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... <laughs> and the aviator had a, I don't know, just like a more interesting story than then the rules don't apply. And they wanted the theme song to be, I don't know, to win an Oscar or something, and they kept singing it over and over again, and it didn't get any better each time they sang it because there's a song called The Rules Don't Apply, I believe, and, uh, you know, that sucked. But um, overall, I thought, it was, uh, I thought it was decent, just, you know, nothing... Uh, Nothing amazing. Allied. Um, I really like this movie, except for the uh, the ending. I think they were trying to give it a happy ending, but I think it should have just ended with uh, with Marion Cotillard's uh, death, because after that, they yeah they had this stupid ending that I guess was supposed to cheer us up, but it just uh, weakened the uh the whole picture for me it was um in a way very you know another tribute to uh to casablanca like a couple other movies this year what were the other two casablanca allied that's what we're talking about oh um oh i thought we were talking about rules don't apply no that was before you fell asleep Oh no, I'm sorry. It's okay. Allied. Allied paying uh homage to Casablanca, yeah. but there was a couple other ones. Oh, La La Land. Oh yeah, La La Land, yeah. And then I there was there was another one you said I thought rules don't apply might have had like a little bit in it. But maybe not. I don't know. You mentioned it in something else. Anyway, it's I alive and well. I love I, I didn't love. I liked Allied. Yeah, it was good. And uh except for the week ending. And um, that brings us to Fences, which... Oh, so good. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. And, um, you know, it doesn't disguise that it's based on a play, but, you know, who cares? I mean, like, there's many things that are good that take place, like, in one location. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing. And uh, Viola Davis is... Uh, or Viola Davis is uh is amazing she's um yeah pumping out those hot tears of rage and uh yeah meryl streep is the white viola davis mm. um yeah she was amazing uh <clears throat> it's funny my mom had a interesting interpretation she thought that troy was a crybaby <laughs> i thought what but I mean, it does make a, she did make a good point that whatever he had, it nothing made him happy. Like he was in the back of the truck and um he wanted to be a driver, then he became a driver and then he said he was lonely being a driver, but um yeah, obviously the man had a hard life where, you know, he's trying to hook up with his sweetheart and his dad comes along and tries to, you know, rape the girl and then he's on his own after that but you know all his you know tirades about uh not being able to make it in baseball i mean there's truth to that you know him being 
born in the wrong time, but he also killed a man and went to prison for years, and that took, you know, his, his, uh, his athletic prime right there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely the man was up against a lot, but he didn't seem to take an account that him killing somebody is really what ruined his athletic career as opposed to, um, you know, uh, blacks not being able to play in the major leagues because he could still have a, uh, you know, wonderful life in the, uh, in the Negro leagues if he wasn't in prison. Um, do you have anything to add about, uh, fences? No? All right, and then uh, what else we got? Arrival. What you think of Arrival? Oh well, that put me to sleep for sure. The music just lulls you to sleep. Yeah, it is very like haunting and dreamlike. I really did like uh, Arrival. Um, you know, it seemed ridiculous that these uh, um, you know genius creatures from another galaxy who are traveling here for our help, but um, I guess it's 3,000 years in the future or something that they actually need our help and they're, uh, they're here on Earth to, uh, you know, give us the, the gift of their knowledge and uh, establish good relations. Um, yeah, and the whole idea that time is not linear is uh, is interesting and that's what the whole story is about and uh basically if you know you know what tragedies are going to befall you or your unborn child you know would you still bring them into the world and um yeah i uh i really uh i really enjoyed it and found it very uh moving and it gives you a lot to uh to think about um again if these genius beings could travel galaxies and have uh, conquered the space-time continuum, I don't think they would need humans to teach them A, B, C, 1, 2, 3. You know, the whole idea that we're teaching them our language, eh, I don't know. I think they could just, you know, pick that up from, uh, from you know, observation from afar. You know, maybe they could pick up a, a direct TV uh, feed or something. Anyway, um, so Arrival, yeah. And then Queen of Copway. I really like this. I saw it twice. I shouldn't have seen it, you know, twice. I think once would have been enough. I mean, because <clears throat> it's a children's movie and it kind of spoon feeds you and hits you over the head with, uh, you know, everything that's going on. But I like that it was a... Uh, a Disney movie that didn't, uh, um, you know, have everything sanitized. Um, the protagonist's sister you know, is a becomes a, a prostitute, basically, and uh, you have the protagonist walking, you know, through the village carrying water, and you have the usual kind of Disney Lion King music, but you could see the poverty and the effects of colonialism, you know, instead of just, you know, Simba being hoisted into, uh, into the heavens. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting movie and inspirational how this little girl from, uh, the village of, uh, Catway, uh, became a, uh, 
a chess dynamo. Um, all right, then we have uh, Finding Dory. What do you think of that? Chrissy? Yeah. Finding Dory. She fell asleep again. I'm sorry. Finding Dory is so good. It's adorable. It's perfect. That was this year? <coughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. There's a Disney movie about somebody or the main character, the title character, has got a mental handicap. Um, yeah, I thought that was uh, interesting. I found it a little... Uh, yeah, a little sad and and disturbing for that reason, but um, but uh, kudos for you know for Disney, but for making something that you know isn't uh, stereotypically uh, cartoony in that regard, because um, you know poor Dory, she uh, you know she has her mental handicap and uh, has to struggle to overcome that, and that's a uh, a new kind of. Uh, protagonist for a uh for an animation feature um then there's patterson what'd you think of patterson oh i did not like that one yeah care. yeah i mean i didn't care either i mean i wanted to care but it's just uh you know adam driver is a bus driver and um he's a uh, a poet as well and he writes his me mediocre poetry on the screen of the, uh, you know, on the, the movie screen, so to speak, over the images that we're watching, very slowly and very, you know, methodically. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's driving a bus, he's writing poetry, he's got a girlfriend that seems vapid and uh, uninteresting. Um, yeah, she... She's totally uninteresting. I mean, I, be I believe she's of, uh, you know, Arabic uh, descent, but, you know, that doesn't play into the story and that doesn't, you know, that doesn't uh, seem to matter. She just she just wants a guitar and guitar lessons. Um, and otherwise, uh, yeah, she's not very interesting. And the story just kind of meanders along and it's the days of the week until um, he meets this uh, Japanese stranger and a rock quarry, I believe it is. And that scene at the end is good, but I don't know, to be honest, I don't know if it was that the scene was good or I was just so relieved that the movie was over. But anyway, Patterson, about Patterson the poet in... Patterson, New Jersey. Um, oh, and then there's uh, Other People. And um, Other People was good. I really like that. That's another Dying Mother uh, movie. What do you think about Other People? Oh, that was one of my favorite ones of the year. The acting, the writing really was overlooked. Every Everyone I mentioned it to is like, what, huh? I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, I was one of my favorites as well, and I don't know why, you know, I guess maybe the advertising budget wasn't uh, very big and it slipped through the cracks, but yeah, it's basically the protagonist comes home because his mother's dying and he's you know dealing with that, but he's also dealing with uh, his father um, or trying to get his father to accept his homosexuality and um it's uh yeah it's funny and um 
and sad and tragic. And um, Jesse Plemons gives uh, an amazing performance. Um, he's, if you don't know Jesse Plemons off from the name, he's uh, he's like the meth Matt Damon from Breaking Bad. And he's always playing some gangster type. But this was uh, something totally different. And uh, he was amazing in it. And um, um, the best friend, what was the best? He was great too. Oh God, what's the best friend's name? Oh, that I don't actor. Know yeah, yeah, he's the one we saw. He's, he's he's on characters on Netflix, and I cannot remember his name right now. But yeah, he was great as well. Um, okay, and then there's Florence Foster Jenkins. What'd you think of that? Um, I really liked this one. I thought it was an interesting little story. Um, I thought it was done really well um, for a period piece. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just an interesting story. And she did a great job. So, yeah, that's what I liked. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it got, you know, it was a little cheesy, a little schmaltzy with the directing and the music and the, and the you know, broadly comedic takes that, uh, you know, that everyone was doing. But... Yeah, I thought it was uh, an interesting uh, story, and I never knew about Florence Foster Jenkins uh, prior to this story, and um, yeah, and I liked it. The Bronze, starring Melissa Rauch. Um, she plays Hope Ann Gregory, which I assume is supposed to be like a Mary Lou Retton type. And uh, the story starts off with her masturbating to her um, big Olympic moment. And then you find out uh, how far she's fallen. And um, anyway, it's, uh, it's pretty funny. I mean, nothing amazing, but, you know, pretty funny movie. Uh, Nocturnal Animals. Did not see that one. Okay, Nocturnal Animals. Like, it starts off with... Uh, with older, um, obese women, um, you know, jumping around and, uh, in, a, in red, white, and blue. And then you find out that it's, that this is an installment for, uh, an artist, uh, Amy Adams, who, uh, um, well, actually she's not, she's not the, uh, artist, I believe, but the, uh, but the, uh, I don't know. Museum curator? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. And, um, yeah, and then you find out that uh, then she gets a script, uh, or I'm sorry, a manuscript from her uh, from her ex-husband, and she starts reading this novel, and this novel is about this... Uh, uh, this family that gets uh, forced off the road and um, basically the wife and the the daughter are raped and murdered and uh, the whole thing is a metaphor for um, the marriage between Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal and so I don't know, cutting back and forth between the two things, I couldn't really get into either story. I mean, I know it's one story, essentially, but but the story of the uh the rape and the you know the the murder was just so corny and so contrived and so gratuitous that I I didn't care. I mean, 
you know, even when the wife and the daughter are raped and murdered, I'm like, ugh, I, I could not care less because it was just so car cartoony and so obvious and you knew what was going to happen. And this whole manuscript was basically him getting back, or Jake Gyllenhaal's character getting back at Amy Adams um, for, I guess, you know, destroying their marriage. And that's what this... Uh, this gru gruesome tale is about it's a metaphor for their marriage and so he sends her the manuscript she reads it and then they're supposed to meet at a uh, a restaurant and he's a no-show and i guess you know that's uh the final uh part of his uh his revenge yeah, but sounds great yeah exactly i thought the whole movie was a piece of shit i don't know why people thought it was deep or interesting you know because it's a story within a story and both of them are corny all right so nocturnal animals then there's loving which i liked it was understated and uh human and real and what what didn't have uh, anachronisms in it and it and it was believable uh, it was the true story of a white man and a black woman getting, uh, you know, the first to uh, to get married and break the uh, miscegenation laws and the plight that they went through. And um, and at the end, you you find out that he was killed by a drunk driver, and you wonder if that was, you know, just an accident or a murder. Um, but the story was. Uh, was was great and uh nick kroll has uh, a role as their lawyer and uh he doesn't do sketch comedy acting he's uh he's good in the role and and i like how he's not the character doesn't say you know oh i'm a jew and i want to help you because um i don't know whatever rousing speech about equality um you know enter here in this blank he is just doing it for his own uh, career betterment because he's an ACLU lawyer and he knows this will put him on the map. And uh, and I like that they stuck to the story instead of uh, him having you know these wonderful uh, altruistic. Uh, I mean, to a certain extent, if he's working for the ACLU, he, he's you know got to be somewhat of a do-gooder but they don't they don't make it schmaltzy is what i'm trying to say they tell the story um in a uh in a very straightforward way and i really like that uh and yeah and it was uh you know unlike uh say like hidden figures it wasn't uh sensationalized it was just uh it was just subtle and real and uh and very moving because uh, less was more. And um, let's see. A Monster Calls. Uh, Liam Neeson is a, a tree monster that uh, uh, comforts this little boy because his, his mother is dying of cancer. Yet another mother dying of cancer. I believe it's Felicity Jones. But for whatever reason, I don't know. It just was so heavy-handed and... Um, and uh, I couldn't get into it for for two seconds because it just kept, you know, just trying to teach and preach and and uh, give messages. And, um, yeah, I just found it uh, pretty insufferable. 
Um, and then we're going to end with, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. We got uh, The Lobster, which <clears throat> I was so excited when this movie started because these people check into this hotel, and if they don't match up with somebody, they turn into an animal. And then they, they could pick what animal they want to be. And I guess it's basically some, like, repressive dystopia where everyone has to be you know coupled together and they all have to be you know married um and um the setup was very interesting and i was very excited to see what was going to happen but then as it played out it just i just you know i just found myself caring less and less and then the ending was just totally stupid to me and i'm gonna yeah, not talk anymore about it, but it had a couple of good uh, black comedy moments in in it. But the it didn't live up to the intriguing present uh, uh, premise that it started out with. Um, the Edge of Seventeen. I really like this movie. I thought I loved the relationship between uh, the protagonist girl and Woody Harrelson. Um, yeah, because you know when she got too histrionic and feeling sorry for herself and and uh whatnot he just would uh he would blow her off and and or put things in perspective and uh it was just very funny the relationship between the two and um i uh i really liked uh the the story and i thought it was uh you know an accurate portrayal of uh you know adolescent uh angst which is usually so poorly done, but um, I I really uh, like this movie. And then finally, Gold. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Edge of Seventeen. You saw that, right? Yeah, I agree. It was really good. I don't really have anything else to say. I don't think. Okay. And then there's Gold with Matthew McConaughey, <coughs> which um, it. Uh, yeah, it was uh it was okay, but at the end of the day, I mean, they're not uh, you know, trying to save uh orphans or anything like that. They're, you know, they're trying to just make a lot of money from gold. So I mean, the stakes are higher and higher because this guy's mortgaging all his money and betting everything he has on finding this gold. And then they find the gold, but then they find out that there really wasn't any gold. And that's kind of anticlimactic. Um, but it keeps you interested, you know, throughout the telling of the tale. Oh, we forgot uh, Collateral Beauty. It's basically about a guy who uh, loses his daughter and him trying to cope with that. I mean, very ambitious material, but the movie was just so stupid. I mean, here this guy, he loses his daughter, and I could understand him being suicidally depressed, but he decides to go to work at the office and put together um, intricate domino um, courses all day because I guess he used to like to you know set up dominoes with his daughter. But, I mean... If you're really depressed, maybe you're going to be like in a fetal position on the floor, not going to the office to do dominoes, you know, all day. And then basically his uh, his business partners are like, oh, he's been playing dominoes for so long. We got to uh, you know, we got to get him out of the business. Let's 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 try and get him declared insane. 
you know, he doesn't do anything insane. He, you know, he does stuff like, you know, rides his bike against the traffic and yells, you know, because, you know, they were trying to make a dynamic scene. But, you know, there's, there's nothing insane about him. So they decide to hire Helen Mirren and some other actors to, uh, to play um, Death and Time and, and another, um, what is it, Death, Time and... Oh, who cares? Anyway, so then you have these people following him around, um, trying to convince him that he's insane, and then they're going to get it, or his co-workers are going to get it all on uh, on video uh, so they could declare him insane. And this then, sounds really insane. Yeah, it sounds... I'm, yeah, I'm like boring myself. so stupid. It is so stupid. And then so... He uh, then and then they have a change of heart and then they're like we can't do this to him after they spent all this time and money to set him up with this with this stupid uh, you know trying to make him look insane on camera anyway in the end he hooks up with his uh, with the, reunites with his uh, with his wife and the uh, the mother of the daughter. Um, who he would break into uh, into her grief counseling thing, and you know at first you don't know that that that's his wife or the daughter. Um, okay, enough. Um, Will Smith, his acting was was great, and the fact that he could commit so deeply to such a stupid fucking story, kudos to him. Um, and then we're going to end with Lion. Lion was, uh, was great. That was one of my favorites. I'd have to say my, my top three would be, um, um, Lion, um, or yeah, Lion, what's it called? 20th Century Women, um, and, uh, what, Zootopia and Other People and Fences. Loving Loving was great too. Yeah, uh, so those are the top six, I'd say. I really like the founder. Oh yeah, yeah. We didn't even mention uh, the founder. Well, what'd you think of that? Oh, I thought the founder was so well done. Really interesting story. Um, yeah, that raises a lot of questions. You can see both sides of the argument. Yeah, who's right and who's wrong, which is always good. It was like ambiguous and. You know, is he doing the right thing or not? And it's funny how some people see him as such a villain, but I don't necessarily see it that way. So uh, that, was, that was great. That was a great one. Yeah, I concur. I mean, the fact that uh, that Keaton could uh, make Ray Kroc so uh, lovable is a testament to, to Keaton's uh, charisma. But, uh, yeah, like Christina said... You could see it from uh, both perspectives because if it wasn't for Croc, there would be no McDonald's empire. Um, but then again, you know, he, he did rob the McDonald's brothers. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting, uh, interesting story. Um, oh, and back to, uh, to Lion to wrap up. Yeah, I really like, uh, really love this movie. Um, it's one of those movies that, you know, if it wasn't based on a true story, you'd say, what? Are you kidding me? This is just too contrived and weird. But it is a true story, and therefore it does work. And, um, yeah, little, little, you know, little baby Saru had the, uh, the memory to, 
to, um, you know, remember that uh, the water tower and the other uh, landscape uh, features and track down his, uh, his hometown. Um, I felt like, uh, you know, the character played by Dev uh, Patel, um, yeah, I mean, the only thing maybe I didn't love was how he was so hard on the girlfriend saying like, you know, my family's, you know, distraught without me. And I mean, that's not her fault. <laughs> but anyway, I thought the movie was great. And um, yeah, very disturbing that um, all these kids are like feral children running around the streets and being hunted. And then, uh, you know, being... Uh, sold into slavery or given up for adoption or raped it's uh very uh yeah very disturbing um there's the girl on the train which uh was wonderfully acted and directed but and it it kept me engaged until it got to the end and then it just turned into like the cheesiest lifetime movie and was like a bitter disappointment and, um, yeah, I don't know how the husband could die from being, you know, stabbed so quickly from being stabbed once with the corkscrew in the neck. And then, you know, she's, she's going on the train, but in the different, you know, the other direction going forward. Oh God. Yeah. I felt so like robbed. Like I thought it was so interesting and i was upset for her and then to find out it was all like fake and a lie oh, i felt cheated yeah yeah um jackie which um um yeah i mean natalie portman sounded more like marilyn monroe than uh than jackie o to me i really didn't care for the uh the uh the impression you know or the the acting um, and I learned nothing new about Jackie, just kind of like a retreading of everything, you know, that we heard about, uh, you know, the, the, the fatal day in Dallas and Camelot and blah, blah, blah. Okay. And there's uh cafe society by Woody Allen, which, um, you know, I thought it was just, uh, just okay. It's another, uh, story glorifying uh cheating basically and um coming to hollywood with your dream another hollywood dream story yeah and um i really didn't like how you know the protagonist um is uh is supposedly happily married and with a baby but then he wants to you know hook up with uh his old flame who's now married to his uncle and and they dream of what could have been and yeah i don't i don't know that kind of you know again it's like glorifying cheating and then also it's uh it's kind of like uh you know like the english patient or bridges of madison county or whatever you know it's like if you want to be with that other person go be with that other person but you know to just uh just like you know not be satisfied in your marriage and think like oh maybe it would be better with the other person i'm like if you don't know what you want well you know how am i gonna know what you want and this is you know why do i care why am i watching this story 
But uh, Woody Allen, true to form, put in many uh, references to uh, older men and younger women, saying, uh, you know, that's, uh, well, first of all, um, that's uh, Steve Carell and uh, Kristen Stewart have that, uh, you know, old man, young woman relationship. And then in the cafe society, there's a bunch of creepy old guys with young women. And then Kristen Stewart even tells a story about Errol Flynn, about him bringing... Uh, some girl somewhere and somebody's saying is that your daughter and he says uh says my daughter no that's my granddaughter right was that the joke yeah yeah anyway um so yeah whatever um and then because uh, we said it was woody allen trying to justify his existence yeah if ex thank you if i wasn't making that point clear yeah, it's just him once again justifying the uh, creepy old man preying upon a young woman. Um, so anyway, that's it. I'm Ryan Fox. And I'm this Christina McGann. And thank you for listening.